Hi, folks. Before you hear yesterday's um, Sunday special, and it was really, really, really good, I am asking you to help us by joining us on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseek. Uh, the link is in the podcast, so all you got to do is look at your phone screen, hit the button, and, and go pick a tier that you can support us to do this work. Um, and the reason I'm doing it is because we actually need the support. The, the listenership, I can't believe, is through the roof, but unfortunately, we are not we're not viable, but we're doing our best to, to make it so. And the only way we can keep it free and keep it out there for everybody is if a few of you decide that, you know what, actually, you'll pay it forward. Um, and by doing that, you help us keep those mics on and keep that content out there. Uh, I want to thank the people who have continued to support us throughout. Uh, it, it's really appreciated. We really hope to do much more in 2022. And I hope that if you're listening to this now and you're saying, I don't want to hear this, actually, you'll understand that if you are a patron, you don't have to hear these ads. These ads are just put in to the ones that um, go out for free. And that that's a little bit of a sweetener for you. So it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise uh, We'd really appreciate it. A couple of quid to you means the world to us. Enjoy the podcast. Good early afternoon and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday special. It's good to be back. It is actually our first show of the new year, uh, even though we've been putting out more content than, than I've, I care to actually mention, Martin. So much for taking some time off. Yeah, yeah, we didn't really get to take a whole lot of time off, but isn't it nice to be back and doing panel? Yeah, it's it, it is. It's terrific, and we and we have two new fresh faces this year. Um, we we are joined by regular contributor and reporter with noteworthy award winning. Uh, uh, who, who also has a fresh face, Tony? Who also has a fresh face? <laughs> Maria, Maria Delaney. Maria, thanks so much to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back. It's 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 great to see you. How was your How was your Christmas New Year? All good. Um, yeah, good. I'm actually on my Christmas holidays now because I was working over Christmas. So you've dragged me out of my holidays for this. <laughs> well, All good. <laughs> well, this is this is this is what happens when we get the hooks in. Unfortunately, uh, we are joined by legal associate um, Shana Sh- Shana Grant for the first time. Um, Shana, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I know we've 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 um, engaged on social media several times, but it's nice to put an, a, a face via Zoom to the name. And 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 thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Not at all, not at all. Delighted to join. It's good to put a face to the mouth and the app. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gob, more likely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and we have. Um, we're also joined by Dr. Lika Urachman, who is um, a pediatrician. And if if you're a listener to the to the podcast for a while, you'll you'll know we've dealt with the um, situation of of how we treat um, some of our migrant healthcare workers in terms of their ability to train, their ability to, to, to proceed and, and, and how, and how to do this. And, and doc, you've been, um, uh, you've been very, very vocal on these sort of th- topics for a while, but before we go there, I just want to say your, your, your name, I believe means um, no, uh, is a nice greeting. So it's nice to meet you for the first time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really obliged today to have all of you and happy new year. And, uh, uh, yes, you can say that Dr. Lika Urrahman. So I always, uh, say to my, uh, you know, Irish colleagues. So there is a biscuit called Liga. Yeah. So yeah. It's very easy to remember that Lika. So it's just like that. Uh, yeah. So I'm very happy to uh, have you all. Th- thanks for coming on. I, I saw in the last hour you were tweeting about the fast track stamp four. Now we, we cover regularly the events with, um, Shamim Malakmian on Dublin Enquirer about stamp four 
appointments being sold and, and the issues around that. Do you want to give us an idea of what the actual campaign is that you you kicked off today? About about an hour ago, I believe it was, you only started talking about it. So if you could just give us a, a, an insight into that, that'd be terrific. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. So basically, uh, first of all, I'll come to the STEM4. What is STEM4? So it is a reckonable period of uh, residency for someone who is living in Ireland and uh, on a on a valid visa for more than five years. So there are different ways to get it. So uh, for doctors, um, STEM4 is very important that it gives them equal training, rights and uh, family and social stability for anyone even. So uh, recently, you guys know that a few months ago, Minister, our respected Minister of Health, Stephen Donnelly, announced that all STEM force will now be ranked equal for the medical training. So uh, this was a step in the right direction, but it was a half step. So the first step is that uh, how we can get a STEM for for our doctors early, because being a skilled person, doctor only in the Ireland, doctors is the profession. Uh, that is not given a STEM for after two years. And, and it is because they are not given the critical skills permit, just like IT and engineering. When they land in this country, say they are given critical skills permit, but for doctors, it is not provided. And that's where, uh, we alerted them, highlighted them. Please look after five years. If a doctor works in this country and eligible for STEM for. So what is the benefit of your policy? So you need to make this, uh, fast access STEM for fast and we, you need to provide us a critical skill permit. And for that, we, um, signed, uh, wrote a letter, uh, and it was signed by more than 600 doctors and all the TDs and, uh, on the critical skills permit. But they just, a uh, few weeks ago, they said like, okay, uh, they are not able to amend, uh, for the doctors, the, their policy for critical skill permit. They said like, okay, we are going to give you a STEM for after two years on multi-site general permit. So basically this campaign is aiming on those doctors who have been working in this pandemic for more than two years already in this system. And th- th- it was their basic right to get the STEM for. And we want uh, those doctors who are working in this country for more than two years to include in this policy, upcoming policy. I, I, I think that sounds fair. And again, I have to caveat that and say that I actually, I don't even believe in a lot of these things. I, I believe in open borders. I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of everybody who, who wants to come here and work here and, and live here is, is welcome. But I also think that this is just one of the barriers and you've pointed to it recently that, that you've been relocated several times. And you're not even you're not even uh, entitled to the same sort of relocation grant that it would be if, say, you were you were born in Ireland. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? Actually, um, STEM4 is basically a residency that gives you different rights that is uh, almost equal to the citizen. So um, it uh, the important thing is that you you talk about uh, the relocation. If you have a STEM4, you can easily, you know, like uh, decide like to buy a house or even to get a mortgage or even, you know, like to settle, settle your family in one of the county because you don't need a visa. You don't need a work permit. So you have some freedom and uh, to settle your family somewhere. 
But otherwise, if you don't have a stamp for, so they give you like six months unstable contracts and you are always worried about a visa. You are always worried about your family and then you need to hunt a new job. And that's where you all, you get all of your discrimination and even bullying at hospitals because they know that he has a visa for six months. So we can easily trap that person. So they play with you. So uh, this is where you have to change different locations. You have to search yourself. You have to find a place for appropriate place for for yourself. So this this is a these are the main barriers, big barriers. So because of that, they set the policies that at every level, even at a very smaller level, that uh, give you a bit of discrimination. Just just like a few days ago, I uh, posted a tweet that. Uh, just very little thing that we share equal job um, workload, we share equal stress, we cover the rota gaps. And when it comes to a sport that we being a non-training, especially more than 95% of the non-EA doctors are non-trainees in this system. So we are not given any sport when it comes to the sport. So that was the purpose of that tweet that when when you move the houses, you move the children. And this- and that's it's important to point out it's not just in most situations. People have families, and you're upping them, and you're expecting them to be able to move. Get it fine. Like I mean, Ireland's not exactly easy to get places to rent at the moment. And then you might be looking at moving schools in these situations. So it's it is a it is a huge imbalance there. And I'm 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 so glad that you continue to point it out. But I suppose the the call then on 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 listeners and people, what do you want? to see in terms of from the Department of Health, from Stephen Donnelly, from, from the, the government to, 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 to do, make, make these things more equitable? Um, yeah, you raised a very good question. Um, the thing is that uh, Stephen Donnelly, uh, our respected Minister of Health, announced uh, a few months ago that we are going to acknowledge the contribution of the non-EA doctors. And we uh, this statement uh, boosted us so, and uh, he is looking at the big barriers that we are going to give the equal training, but he needs to look at the smaller barrier at the bottom uh, as well. So he need to make sure what our the policy they roll out for doctors. It should cover all the doctors, not just uh, trainees, or uh, it shouldn't discriminate any doctor. It should be given to all the doctors. This is what we are looking forward. Uh, any policy that is they are rolling out. Where is the impasse? Did you have you honed it down to one particular place where the impasse is, Liga? Um, couldn't where, the, where the where the blockage is? Where is the blockage? Where I is, think the, uh, the blockage is uh, in the system is when you land in Ireland. Here you feel a blockage because uh, you're not aware of. Uh, you come from a country where uh you know like uh, a different culture a different country and you're not aware of the system so when you come here so they they knock you down with a six months contract and you just struggle for a new contract so you don't look even at what's happening around you so you're very busy job a person uh you you're working around and uh, so you after every three months you need to find a new job so people struggle in finding and hunting a job and settle their family and that's where they just leave the country after a few years okay so they should be getting some stability social and family stability early when they land in the country so that's where our campaigns all about to bring awareness even in the community in the doctors that look you need to talk about you need to raise you have the rights in the law you need to just ask them, like, 
this is what we are here. Thanks for that, Doc. Um, it is a very difficult position, and and there's a huge amount of non-national doctors filling massive gaps with not the just health service. not just doctors. It's it's across the board and health yeah. and frontline workers. And uh, and this is why um, you're not going to like me for this, Doc. But I just think if you're if you're contributing, if you're if you're doing not even if you're contributing, if People have arrived in Ireland. They want to make their lives. I can't believe people, you know, like we saw the story last week about money being used to buy Irish passports for half a million. You can buy a golden visa. Well, there's people here who actually live here and want to, who, who want to make their lives here. We need to be doing better on that. But I really thank you for, for taking your time to, to talk to us today. And we will get, we will promote the, the campaign because something has to change. We need a qu- parity of esteem. It needs to mean something in this country. It needs to mean more than just uh, words. It needs to actually have a tangible result and improve this. So, so thank you so much for talking to us this morning. And, and talking about parity of esteem, we're going to move next to Shauna. Shauna, parity of esteem in Northern Ireland. We've heard during the week that there are, are too many nationalists with too many good qualifications and it's literally taken over the joint. And what are we to do about it? lot of steam about this party of esteem to be honest like coming out of my ears um but uh yeah it was it's kind of hard to take and there's still like because i find it interesting that it double backed on i think it was two weeks ago joe brawley had a like a 15 second clip that set a lot of people off when he said that um talked about the orthodoxy of the Irish state and <clears throat> well didn't think he missed specifically the state but anyway and we were told no there's there's nothing um so we were in the kind of northern nationalists were in the, the spotlight then and then Kate Hoey <laughs> and uh Kate Hoey doubled down effectively. Mm, so we were told that there's no there's no hostility and and you know to to the good the good nationalists the good uh, ones the, the the ones that um you know weren't doing the bad thing or giving a nod to the bad thing and then you get a you get a newspaper article that kind of lambasts the good ones the the ones that kind of went and did their degrees and got nefariously into the structures of power the right way and uh, even that was seemed to be some sort of like interloper Infiltra- the word the word was used infiltration Infiltration, yeah. Infiltration via A-levels, UCAS, um, you know. Like the sense is that there's, a, or, or the, the, the notion is that there's a cabal of nationalists who have worked together from, I, I suppose, primary school to to organize and get into these positions of power where they have influence. That seems to be the narrative that's been put forward. But, I mean, it's very difficult to see where a group of academics could organize other than on university challenge. You know, it's really difficult to see where that could happen. Is it really just, are we using nationalist and are we using shorthand for Catholic? Is that what we're doing? That like the tone, you can't, I can't pin that on her because she didn't say that and she refuted that. But I know what I was told growing up by my family um, who were all civil rights marchers. Um, and kind of kept their their themselves on the right side of everything. And I know what happened when I went to Dublin, and I know what happened when I went to Queens as well, which is always spoken about as a cold house for unionists. And I think Kate, my biggest problem with Kate's 
article was the complete lack of ambition for everybody um, because the biggest barrier to uh, the professions anywhere and, and as, as we become more globalized everyone can see this is class it's not your background it's not your religion I came from a very very working class background and I had t- two offers to do either medicine in um, the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin which took it up then went to get do you remember 2007 rents 2005 rents <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the last boom Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last boom. So I went, and that was a no. So I, I took up an offer in law in Queens, but I mean, we were told get a profession. That was that was the push. Get do it right. Get a profession. Do your do your degree. Keep it and finish it, and you'll get in. And they'll not be able to say anything about you. So yes, she is right in that there was a, a push and a strategic organization to get in and do it right, and I I don't disagree with that. Um, and I don't, I'm not ashamed of that either. I'm very proud of it because I know that the only way I got my legal placements was my dad's a plumber and he used to go into people's houses and ask them if they were solicitors or barristers. I have a girl and she's a great worker and, you know, she, she, if, if you got a, a apprenticeship, let me, you know, do you want to speak to her? But I mean, whenever I was a Queens, my head was down. I, we were down. Keep your, keep your powder dry. Don't give them the excuse that they think that they're waiting on, get your degree, finish it, get in and do it right. But I mean, there was lots of working class unionists and loyalists in my class that were exactly the same. And I mean, the complete lack of ambition to try and push for more for them is what is really sickening about that article for me. Yeah, Shane, Sh- 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 I want to come to that because, you know, we've covered, we spoke to Kula Yusuma, myself and Vicky, and, uh, you know, the the, the children's um, commissioner in in. in 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 NI, and she was talking about the fact that you know educational attainment in certain communities has been more difficult. We still see that the, you know, and the nationalist community have moved in terms of the level of people going to third level education and and these things. So, is there something to be said about the point? Of course, there is. It's true. Um, but the, does that mean? But you're right to point out that that's not a orange or green issue. That's a class issue, yeah. and it's and it's 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 class structures. I would I would say though. And I, again, I speak for myself. I've been very disappointed by the coverage in, well, loosely termed the free state on this, you know, as if, you know, as if um, there's a grudge to be held. And you've just expressed how much more nuanced it is than simply green or orange. Um, and, th- you know, there's there's mixed households, there's mixed people, there's people doing their best. And I just find that we we just want to categorize it, particularly in, in Southern discourse. It's like, I you know it's much easier to say, they're in that box, they're in that. And I don't think that's bared, borne out by the reality of the people who I know and talk to. No. And I mean, I understand simple narratives. It's very, they're palatable. It's it, it's a good column for your, you know, your weekly column that you have to fill in. These ones are good. This ones are bad. But life up here is not anything close to what I think a lot of people imagine. And 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 to be fair, the same was true of me before I came to Dublin because I was living in Ballymun and studying in Kings. Uh, so there are such different worlds to be existing in. And so in one world, I was uh, kind of spoken to always like, oh, your accent. Now, I don't think my accent is very dense, or or um, but I know that I can tone it down when I need to. Um, but one world I was told kind of like, you know, you think I sounded like a typewriter falling downstairs without my mouth. And then in another world, when I was at home in Ballymun, everybody was, you know, like, great to hear you down and lovely to see you. And the 
difference was just so. But I, if I hadn't been living there, I would have just seen the, you know, that central academic kind of, you know, much more staid, hostile kind of attitude. And I think if there's a lot more, there needs to be a lot more dialogue and understanding. I wouldn't have seen the other side. And that's only a 20 minute bike ride back to the house, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and, yeah it is. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was so, I mean, the orange and green issue, it suits particularly Brexiteers, which is a very binary kind of outlook and binary kind of discourse, I find. I mean, I find that uh, I'm, for instance, if you think about the protocol, like the protocol for me, my husband's business, he's a distiller, has been good for him. But that does not make me very pro-EU. You know, I, we've been categorized as this kind of like champions of the European Union. And, and like I have huge, huge issues with the European Union in terms of immigration policy, in mm-hmm. terms of how they approach finance regulation, you know, loads and loads of things like that. And uh, but up here, if you're kind of pro protocol, you, you've come to this like this flag waving EU kind of totem, which is just not true. And the same with Kate Hoey's kind of like nationalist cabal, which it's funny, but it also is quite dangerous because a lot of <coughs> that 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 is not it was originally kind of that um, elite nationalist kind of infiltration was used as an excuse for a lot of violence back in the 70s. And as funny as it, it kind of is. It is a bit chilling whenever you grew up. Like I grew up in around South Armagh and um, Glenarm Gang, and like yeah. the rate, the like it very close to know personally some of the Reedy families. And um, you know, it, as funny as I find it, uh, I do remember driving around. Like I was driving long before the um, the checkpoints came down and and all of the infrastructure came. Around. Like I know what it was like to live in and around that and. I remember Daddy going to work after Lockin Island. He was working in Lockin Island when it happened, and uh, I remember absolutely petrified about him going to work. And that was the kind of like that any Catholic will do. Um, was and a lot of it. There was a lot of uh, talk about it being a kind of a nationalist cabal, like a, an elite network of it. There, there was a lot of that was the discourse and behind a lot of the violence behind that. That does not mean that I wasn't afraid of going shopping in Belfast and getting hit by an IRA bomb either, because that was always in our mind. Like it was a dance we danced all the time, yeah. um, kind of analyzing danger and fear. Uh, and and I want to come in and just say, like, I mean, only it's only a few days ago. I think it was the anniversary of obviously the Kingsmill bombing, and then the the, the subsequent attack on the Reavy family. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I've met Eugene. He's a, a gentleman. There's no, and as far as I know, there's no hate in that man's heart, despite the suffering that the oh, the, the Reavy, yeah. you know. And we talked, and then you, and then we see only recently, you know, um, Stephen Travers finally getting justice for the Miami show band. And yet no one talks about this because this is an admission of what actually went on. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of proves the point that people are arguing against down here that, that, that we're saying, Oh, this didn't happen or we didn't not do this. And we're going, well, well, where, if, where's the coverage really? And uh, I, I, I am conscious. Look, we will come back to it. And I, I, I know Kev, Kevin Cunningham has joined us as well. And, and I'm sure Kevin, you, 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 what you look at the analytics of this and the data, but, but I'd like to go to Maria Delaney first. Maria, I don't know if you've any, any thoughts on this, but I, but I also want to ask you then, I think there's an element of something you're covering coming up at noteworthy around uh, classrooms that might actually play into the whole issue of um, access and educational attainment. But for, if you have any comments on that, I'd be delighted to hear. 
Yeah, well, I suppose just what Sean was saying, um, it's linked in slightly to um, what I looked at before Christmas on traveller education, um, where, again, it's all about disadvantage and um, access to education, access to facilities. And um, I know there was a lot of talk this week about potentially closing schools, but like, again, like travellers were one of the worst hit in terms of school closures because they didn't have the facilities in terms of laptops and things like that. And, and it's it's the same in, in most communities that are disadvantaged. So I presume it's parallel in the north where um, you would have different um, access to education. So like, it, I think it's the same everywhere where you look like and and perhaps it is being framed as nationalist versus or Catholic versus Protestant, but as John was saying, like it's the same um in the Protestant areas where there's low economic status, same in Catholic areas. So like it, it's mirrored across disadvantaged groups just from the ones I've looked at, I haven't looked at um Northern Ireland. But you've been you've been I, I saw some of the like the work you did on on, on traveler education. That's when we said award winning, it won the awards. That was the truth. And 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 um and but the but the truth of it is there it is almost un- unpopular sometimes to admit that there's a class distinction in, in much of this as well. And we've seen it this week play out where people were saying, Well, actually, if we close schools and I want to be clear again. No one on this podcast has advocated for closing schools. We've we've said keep them open and as safe as possible, please. Um, but when we when we do that, it, it comes down to the people you're sending home who can't access, you know, say online learning, blended learning, and don't have those those type of things. And and we're seeing that more and more. And and again, and I, I know Shauna, you might might have a comment on this as well. But I'm going to stick with Maria. But that 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 we've seen. That it, the system has actually gotten worse. The inequality has been exacerbated over the last twenty months of the pandemic, particularly in educational, where we've seen people who have the money can afford grinds, can afford tutors, can afford online online things, and then other people are just going to suffer um, down the line, and they won't be able to get educational opportunities. Yeah, and, and we've seen people not go back to school um, because of the after the break. Um, again. Just I, I, as you mentioned, I've done that in travellers, but we have, there were evidence of travellers not going back to school, perhaps to do the leaving search because of the long break, because of how much they've missed out and how much they felt they were behind. Um, I suppose you mentioned you had a nice segue that I didn't pick up on there, but we're, we're hoping to do something on classrooms. Um, so again, this also um, is perhaps in disadvantaged areas where there are maybe perhaps, again, we, we want to look at this to see um, where are prefabs located in perhaps classrooms and I suppose talking to I, I'd have a lot of um know a lot of teachers that would teach in prefabs and you have the issues of the cold classrooms well you can just imagine how that's exacerbated when you're sitting in a prefab with windows open already we had issues with prefabs, prefabs before the pandemic but that's what we want to look at we want to I suppose concentrate on prefabs who's in them why are they in them like what's happening um, so you can go to noteworthy.e and support that project if you want. But yeah, no, it's like, again, it's like, are there private schools with prefabs? Like, uh, this is completely anecdotal, but I, I very much doubt that no, I the, the more advantaged schools so. would have the not have the HEPA filters or not have the, the heating facilities. So I suppose that's that's another area of disadvantage that we might see bear out in, in, towards in the next few months when it comes to ventilation and everything. Yeah, there is. There is certainly a gap in education and educational attainment through class. And we see that time and again. We see it. And it's universal, as Shauna says, up north, down south. It's universal. 
have you any idea how we get past that? How do we get past the class issue in education? Well, again, like it's more like resources to disadvantaged areas is a common theme that I've heard across. Um, like, and actually, it, it even is beyond primary and secondary. It goes into third level. Like, I did a big um, investigation two years ago about, um, like, just the people not like having insecure jobs in third level but one of the big themes I found in that was it was people who were from disadvantaged areas women people and disabled people that were missing out the most when it came to um, jobs at third level or even education at third level so it kind of goes kind of beyond and then into the workplace so like the obvious thing is more resources which is obviously more money but I suppose it's just the quality of resources and targeting people who are um, disadvantaged and giving people computers um, for example if they have to learn from home and um, like access to devices and not only that like if, if parents don't, haven't used computers before they need people to go in and show people how to use them so it's beyond just giving people things you need people to actually help um, just to bring people out of disadvantage. Yeah, and I think we've learned through the pandemic that, you know, there isn't one right way of doing this. Um, blended learning, I think, is something that we should keep after we get through COVID. I think it has worked for some and has certainly taken the pressure off for others. And like it does, like that's the thing, like blended learning doesn't work for people who don't have access to technology. That's that's key. Obviously, you can address that by giving people access. It does definitely work for people like say I, I have a disability myself. So in college, I actually missed out a lot on college and I was just given, say, notes, whereas I would have much prefer to be able to tune into lectures. And that's possible now. So so that kind of thing obviously has improved drastically. And also people from working from home, like you're actually able to perhaps work from home again it doesn't impact everybody but it does um, have some positives in that way um i i do want to move us on and we will come back but i want to go to kevin um because obviously yeah you, you've uh you you kevin you you obviously just come in the middle of this and you, you've, you've been hearing what we've been talking about but but there's also been a lot of interesting data that you were behind in in, in the last uh the last few hours it was in the sunday independent and I know you've been doing the rounds on the radios today. So, um, Kevin, just in terms of what the what the actual political data is telling us, and we're we're what we four months away from an election installment, and now we're looking at a, a situation whereby, and I think what was most interesting to me, one of the things that was interesting to me was, and uh, people won't like me saying this, is that the incumbent government in 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 um, Leinster House are still the most popular. Um, uh, choice of the public, it, it appears not by much, somewhere somewhere within a couple of a couple of percentage, but it does seem very much that, you know, we it's everything seems volatile, but the numbers don't bear that out. Yeah, I mean, coming to the the schools issue, which you guys were talking about, uh, there uh, obviously a, a majority of people are interested. A majority of people uh, think that the schools should have reopened, and then there's also a majority that think that the reopening was actually done very badly. So. There's obviously a nuance there in relation to the kind of how schools are reopening. Um, on the Northern Ireland thing, I think it's interesting. This is slightly separate from the polling I'm doing uh, with the Sunday Indo. But Northern Ireland is fascinating to me, and I'd love to hear more about this, but it's just about how that middle ground is sort of opening up quite a lot uh, in, in recent months and years. Um, and it's very interesting how that middle ground is the one that's most in favour of the, 
the protocol when you look at it um, in terms of the recent polling. Um, when you're talking about uh, the latest polls and the, and the coalition options, I'll be completely honest that the, the coalition question itself isn't the most interesting question for me because I think a lot of that breaks down just according to party lines and it depends on how you ask the question a little bit. So, yeah, there's 38% who are in favour of the current coalition. But that's because, you know, when you add up the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and Green Party numbers, it's fairly similar to that. So the people who currently support Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are currently most likely to be in favour of that particular option rather than the alternatives. And every alternative it requires bringing in Sinn Féin. Mm. Um, so that's basically how, how it kind of stacks Sh- up. Shauna, can I ask if you don't mind, uh, Kevin re- raises an interesting point about that middle ground. Um, I mean, we've uh, spoken at length to different members of whether it was Alliance, the Greens, um, UUP, and and, 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 the, and the people who are trying to be more progressive sides of unionism and, and, and loyalism. That, but are we seeing that the, um, the, the that, that middle ground actually going to play a significant part, do you think, in the next few months? Because, you know, the DUP will not be rewarded, in my opinion, if they decide to bring it down. No, I don't think so. I mean, um, <clears throat> we're in the the, the backdrop that uh, you have to consider here is, is definitely the pandemic and our health service. I mean, um, I work in healthcare advocacy. That, that would have been my main um, interest. Uh, but the three years when the assembly was down was absolutely catastrophic for our health service. Um, and we are, we entered into a pandemic in what are, in the, probably the worst, um, healthcare system in all of Northern Ireland, the South and the rest of the UK by, by a long stretch. So, um, the UP will not be thanked, in my opinion, will not be thanked for bringing down because it is as much as I pounded pavements and tried to get that on the agenda for the last three years in terms of awareness. It wasn't, but now it's you've got nine, ten, eleven, twelve hour waits in A and E before you can get on a trolley. Um, you know, things are there it's really, really bad and everybody is feeling it now. It used to be the preserve of only the older and infirm that were kind of feeling that. So the COVID is a leveler in that respect and that it can go after anybody and people are seeing that more. The middle ground, I mean, the DUP if you look at the attendance of the protests, anti-protocol protests, I think the middle ground is like it's there's the middle ground in the north and that's tended to be um defined by the constitutional issue. But in terms of the protocol, I really don't think that constitutional outlook is what defines the middle ground in terms of the protocol. I think I, I know a lot of working class loyalists and unionists who just want to get on with life and um, don't see the protocol. But this is only my personal experience from, you know, feminist working groups and obviously groups that I, I speak to. But they they go they generally tend to go middle class and down. So, um, but these are people who live at interfaces and deal with the actual violence that occur during protests and things like that. And the feeling on the ground is that there isn't this mass opposition that kind of the DUP would like because that, that would favour. That- that's yeah. borne out, Shauna, by the numbers yeah. that, that are attending yeah. the protests. They're, they're exactly. not. Mm-hmm. They're not getting. They're, they're actually getting smaller as opposed to getting bigger. Smaller and, and smaller. Yeah. And and I suppose we should all be heartened by that. But then again, it's much easier to say someone threw a rock at a bus, and we can throw that in the in the paper down here and say, "Should they're all at it again?" You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, like I think, and and I think a lot of the rhetoric, that kind of rhetoric that I was initially talking about in the paper, 
is actually part to try and prompt more of that. Um, I think it, I genuinely do think it's electioneering more than anything else. I mean, Jeffrey Donaldson endorsed that that um, that report about loyalism. That you know, if you look at, I, I'm no academic, so I'm not going to speak specifically about the merits of that report. But um, you know, from from many that I've seen that have kind of looked at the research methods and the, the, I mean, it doesn't stand up to much. But I do think prompting things like that is an, is a like kind of the dying grasp of an attempt to regurgitate some sort of like uh, kind of back to the old days of where sectarianism was 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 a good electioneering uh, tactic and I just don't think that that's uh, it's it's cutting the mustard as much anymore I mean people no. people want more and they deserve more and they expect more as yeah. well Sean that's and, true should. Kevin can I come back to you for a second we do have a major upheaval politically coming towards the end of this year where uh, Leo Varadkar is going to take over as Taoiseach do you think that's going to have an impact on the electorate's view of this coalition? Um, the, the, the inevitability of that changeover? Yes. I think it has a huge, like, I think it's quite an important thing because the reason, at least why I see, I mean, Fianna Fáil increasing, let's say, over the last couple of years is because Fianna Fáil have become more relevant. Because when Decisions are being made around the pandemic. It is primarily Michael Martin and Stephen Donnelly who are central to those decisions, kind of standing over them. Whereas Fine Gael, I think, are a little less comfortable with those decisions, so they're kind of distancing themselves a little bit. And I think Fianna Fáil are benefiting because they're central to the rele- central to the, the relevance of those government decision making of the government's decisions. As we move towards the, the changeover. It's inevitable that Michal Martin will suddenly be less relevant. And if that changeover actually happens, Fianna Fáil will lose support. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty inevitable because they will become less relevant. The reason why Fianna Fáil were on 12 or 13 percent in kind of autumn of 2020 was because they weren't central to the decision making. They were an irrelevant feature of the Irish political system. So I think the big thing is whether Fianna Fáil just go in and become effectively the minor coalition party in the government and whether they're willing to do so. And I think that's a big question. Uh, There we go. You've just raised it because Martin said it's inevitable, but it's not inevitable. We posit the idea that maybe, maybe, and okay, I'm going to give you my... My, uto- my utopian version of events. My, yeah, as, as, uh, No, utopian, as good as it gets for me, would be that the DPP finally does something in terms of what, what, what has happened with the investigation into Leo Varadkar. They decide whether they're going to prosecute or not. And that gives Michal Martin a conundrum and how he deals with should someone who maybe has now got been told that there's a charge facing him should, should maintain the office of Taoiseach. And I don't think he, that's possible. And then you have the opportunity within Finnafall to say, well, actually, we're, we're, we're gaining hand over fist on them. We, let's not switch this over. And, and if they, but if they're insisting that Leo has to stay, well, they, they can't, they can't coalesce anymore. And that's, exactly. yeah, it's an itch. Like I'm a lot, of, a yeah. lot of things have to come into play, Kevin. But, um, and I know I seem real laughing at me with my, uh, with my, um, idea, but I just think that there's an, that, in many ways, we shouldn't have that anyway. We shouldn't have, like in the corporate world, Kevin, you know this, someone would be made step down while they were pending an investigation. That's the, that's the reality. 
Um, this I has mean, gone I, on so, so long. Yeah, like I'm not going to. Um, I mean, look, anything is reality possible, and so I wouldn't dismiss uh, this this possibility. All right. I think one of the things I'm, I'm I've become, and this is because, like, what I do is I'm like I study voting behavior. So the thing I'm most interested in is why are people voting for the parties that they're voting for, and in Ireland, it is interesting because related to what you're talking about is that the best predictor, I've said this so many times uh, on, on different radio shows, the best predictor for whether someone supports uh, Sinn Féin as opposed to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil is an attitude towards corruption and, and all that sort of stuff. And obviously that's related to the, the Leo thing, right? But I've been really interested in this sort of thing. I've been trying to understand why exactly is that? Why is it that and not age and not social class and all these other things that people talk about around Sinn Féin, which are important, but not as important as this perception of corruption in politics. That's what I've been really, really interested in, in trying to try to understand in greater detail about. And I, I, I'm sort of trying to scratch the surface on it, starting to scratch the surface on it with, with this latest poll, and um, because we have all these events, like the, the Department for Foreign Affairs event, the uh, Golfgate incidents, uh, incident. and you can see obviously the Sinn Féin supporters are much more likely to demand repercussions in those in those cases. But it's hard to disentangle those events from you know partisanship because obviously they'll they'll want repercussions for for ministers and people that they already don't like because of Sinn Féin supporters, right? But then when you look at this this wider question, which I I included and I have here, which is getting ahead in Ireland is about either a more who you know than what you know. Be more what you know than who you know, or both in equal measure. And 66% think it's more about who you know. And that is massive also for the, the shit. Uh, we have, we have, we have a thing. saying here that it's, it's not just what you know or who you know, it's what you know about who you know. That's what makes the difference. <laughs> now, 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 now we sound even more conspiratorial. <laughs> like I, I, I see your point. Why, why is one set of anomalies, or I'm going to use that word very loosely, more focused on? But I think it's hypocrisy. I think we despise hypocrisy more than anything else. And if you're going to put yourself up as the law and order party. Um, then you're going to get it worse when you do something. When well, you step if, out if, alone. if I can, if I can reference something that happened today, we saw Peter O'Dwyer, who he continued to, to. He first of all, he called what was about to happen with the America's Cup. Uh, fair play to him. He called it back in September. But um, the reality is, he, he pointed out today that they they won't recoup tens of millions from insurance companies that made massive profits um, by getting state supports during COVID, and they will. You know, try and say, well, we're taxing you on your PUP that you got, um, even though you, you, you know, this all happened disastrously. So people, whether you call that corruption, Kevin, or you call that kind of uh, an imbalance in haves and have nots, people do see that and they feel that. And I think there's an element that where Martin is right on that. Yeah, like, you know, I think it, it comes back to this kind of populism thing. And I think populism is treated as a pejorative and in some sense, I'm not really sure if, if it is entirely a pejorative because in some of these sort of things that could be called um, anti-corruption or, or, or whatever, uh, some of those some of those things are, are, are worth scrutinizing. You know, there's a question we had, which was, uh, in your view, is public money being managed appropriately in the HSE? I mean, 
on in some loose way you can see how if the misappropriation of public funds is is a is a problem uh and but but if you were a populist or or kind of of that persuasion you're much more likely to say you know that there is a problem but yeah um Eighty-five uh, percent said that the, the, the funds in the HSC are being misappropriated. So uh, that's just incredible. That's, that's a very large number of people. Do you see, a, yeah, do you see a big age age difference, Kevin? Is there mm-hmm. a massive age difference? No, these things. Um, not really. No, it's. I mean, age age is a is an important thing. You do see a class difference and an income difference. You know, people on higher incomes, people who are more middle class, are, are less likely to to view the world in this way okay, but, I, I, I'm conscious yeah. of time guys we need to we need to move on I do want to I don't hate marking this kind of anniversary of the the attempted coup in the US right that's what it was it was a, a disastrous att- attempted coup uh, America has decided half of America has decided there was no coup and maybe it was um, lads from Antifa that were pretending to be Trump supporters um, but this there's also you mentioned uh, the, ter- the 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 rotation of T-shock earlier, and Maria, I want to ask you this. I don't know if you've heard this this week. They were talking about the fact that within 12 months already, so he's only he's only been president for 12 months, and in 12 months' time he stands to lose the Senate, and and Joe Biden could be a lame duck president, and the U.S. itself. This, this this bastion of democracy, and I use that term um, in the widest possible ter- uh, way, seems to be really struggling. And it, the whole idea that the coup or the attempted coup never happened this week seems to just people like oh yeah no it didn't happen it was um it was actually Kevin Cunningham in the with the with the library in the library with the, with the candlestick kind of thing you know. Yeah, like just, I suppose before we move on, the thing I was laughing at was you didn't come up, didn't think of the possibility that perhaps Fina Gale might find it, whatever findings against Neil Radker and replace, and we could have a different T-shop. But, oh, uh, <laughs> fair enough. I, spot on. And there's a reason why they've, there's a lot of uh, Helen like it just, Yeah, pieces. it seems like unlikely, but <laughs> there no, you go. <laughs> no, no, no. I've just been owned on my own podcast, folks. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I suppose like I've been thinking about this a lot over the last year um obviously it was a major like the coup is a major event in politics not only in, in the United States but like across the world that something like that would happen and I suppose I've been comparing it in a way um and it kind of links in with our discussion on T-shocks um to Irish leaders and um other leaders across um democratic nations and I suppose one thing that I was thinking and perhaps it's being um analyzed before but um, it's basically like in in the United States, you kind of look for a really strong leader. And as you're saying, Biden perhaps isn't as strong a leader as like you might say Barack Obama inspired people and leadership and people to follow him. And, and the same with Donald Trump with a very different cohort of people. Um, so perhaps it's good in a way that we don't have very strong inspirational leaders because in Ireland, we would have a, a lot of more of less of a divide. Like, obviously, we do have a div- division in Ireland in terms of our views and things, but it's not as, I suppose, storm the capital-esque divide where we would not question people. So, like in the United States, you often have 
things happen that people wouldn't question the leader because they believe in them so much. Whereas no matter how much we might like a particular leader one way or the other, or, or like a Taoiseach, we always question decisions if we don't agree with them. And we generally um, like analyze decisions or, or no matter what our political persuasion is. So I think that's one thing that I thought is a positive in one way in terms of Ireland, even though maybe we are often unhappy with our leaders, that it might be a good thing that they're not as strong. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm not in a way, but I actually, Shauna, I would mind if, if you, could I come to you for a moment? Because, and you might tell me that you, you didn't see it, but I recall, it must be about four or five months ago, Mr. Joe Brawley, who caused all the, the consternation, he'd wrote, written a piece whereby, um, at the time, I think Arlene Foster was still head of the DUP, and we went through all the, the and they said, if all of this happens, she said she was moving to um, somewhere in the UK because she couldn't, you know, she couldn't deal with something. And Joe suggested that she move to Alabama, I think it was, in, in an article he'd written, um, uh, on the basis of that was where this kind of polarization uh, both in the US and as he saw it actually within the DUP, within loyalism, um, was fit most. I don't know. If, first of all, I don't know if you saw the piece, but it does seem to me that when, when, when Maria, talk, Maria talks about strong men, there hasn't been any good leadership in, in loyalism. And particularly when, it, when, when you put that through well, the through, strong people now. Strong people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> twice. Oh, thank twice you, now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, and maybe, and maybe, I don't know if you, if you watch the US as, as much as an aired as I do. And, and we will be back with it next week with um, John Schwartz from The Intercept. So that should be interesting. But uh, Sean, I don't know like, if you have any thoughts on that. Well, you know, when you talk, you see, because I work with a lot of, um, community groups if you look at the who in big loyalist communities uh, like with Dempsey Pop we talk about Belfast for example um those that are those that are big leaders aren't generally elected if you know what I mean um um so a lot of community organization and uh, is done within women's groups I mean I my I did my thesis on um alternative forms of governance in Northern Ireland um, through the Troubles, and that was basically run by women's centres across the Falls, the Shankles, and then um, lots of rural groups. And there's a lot of interconnection there. But I mean, in terms of uh, <clears throat> community leaders and, and their ethos, take, there's a huge amount of kind of, I don't know if that is as much in the South, but there's so much unelected leadership in the North. Um, like, for example, Dr. John Kyle um, was a, is a PUP councillor, and he came out kind of, in, in favor of uh kind of uh, amended water down protocol that sort of thing i mean um those are the uh our election i know it's really easy to say but our electoral politics ne don't reflect the reality of a lot of what yeah. um life is here and what people really believe and get behind for example if you look at um uh i mean the dup are the biggest um and then the UP behind them kind of the, the two bigs but if they're both of them, if you look at their stance on abortion, so UUP, I think it's a conscious issue and DUP is very kind of anti-choice. They're opposed. Yeah. 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 Fully. But if you look at loyalist women, I mean, her loyalist voice is great. Um, if you follow it on, we, we, uh, we, we, should, we, yeah. that's about the fourth time it's been recommended in about, in about five weeks on this podcast. So, so get the hint folks and start yeah, listening, start listening because loyalist women without a doubt, uh, without, you know, resoundingly pro-choice and want this um, and so but their the politics of the of their electoral community of, of their electoral voice don't reflect that at all and um so 
in terms of polarization, I think it's it's unfortunate for parties that rely on that because that I do think not people don't speak about the north with a lot of hope and and it is very easy to become disillusioned but i do think that um that middle ground is no longer going to be defined on your constitutional issue uh, outlook i think mm. it's going to be defined on a lot more things that are actually um affecting the impact of everyday life including i mean there's a huge amount of um if you look at uh, Alliance for Choice and everything, that's that. that I mean, the whole the old uh, kind of staid, dour Protestant uh, stereotype is not born out there. Lots of the uh, most of the leaders, well, not that most of the leaders, but a lot of the people who've done the most work on that would have been from unionist um, and, and loyalist backgrounds, and they're of all classes and persuasions. And and, and there's a lot more liberal vo- vo- voices in that now. And I and I say that in in terms of like looking at at the, the republic going through the the obviously the referendums and so. I'm co- again conscious time, Kevin. U.S. Uh, are we going to bring? Are we going to see? Uh, are we going to see a civil war in a few years? Go on, go on. Give me, give, give me, uh, give me something really juicy for for the listeners that we can tell them that it's all going to end in in uh, in, in a battle. I'm going to really disappoint you and say that I I, I think it's a little bit over egged. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did uh, I did a poll on uh, on uh, on QAnon. That's good. Yeah, the art of even no, very few people actually do, and you know, even in the even in the US, uh, like okay, it's like five percent or something like that. Like it's a noisy five percent, but um, can that minority take over things? Is the Republican vote all crazy? I don't think so. I think quite a lot, a large subset of that Republican vote is actually quite moderate. Um, like it's not my persuasion, but they are voting on their. On the basis of their pocket, the most interesting thing I, the, the stat I always pull up about the US is is that it's something like ninety percent of people who voted for Mitt Romney voted for Donald Trump, even and and Mitt Romney himself is in the ten percent who didn't, right? But that just shows how the US is. I mean, it is very polarized. Absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but there's a consistency there that Donald Trump didn't have as big an impact uh, on the electorate. Uh, that people sometimes think he did. You know, the, 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 in terms of percentages of people moving and changing their view, the people's views are changing more in places like Ireland than in places like the United States. Yeah, and, that's, the, yeah. and that's very true to say. Their politics is kind of stagnant and has been for quite well, some well, time. Well, actually, I saw a thing, I, and Kevin, you might have seen this, um, a report came out during the week from one of the think tanks in the US that the gerrymandering has backfired in some of the districts. That they've ended up, yeah. Some of the things they didn't, they didn't get it right. They didn't redraw the maps right, and it turned out that working class people who aren't going to vote for them might actually be better off. And some that, that it, happened in uh, in Ireland, the Tully man. Um, well, listen, yeah. listen, it happened in my area because I met Noel Rock was lost out on Drumcondra. Oh, uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> well, that's uh, that is yeah, that's a very interesting one, yeah, that that change. Uh, I've got it. I'm going to move us to uh, actually towards we, wrapping up. We're going to wrap up, yeah. There's two things I have to mention. And the first is that fox that we trained so well. Me and Paul Murphy spent about six months training that fox. It's unreal. <laughs> it, the, the, the fox that got into the Taoiseach's office, if we ever introduce an honor system, we've said this previously, will be the first arise sir fox of uh, uh, the last the last thing i'm going to mention i'm going to ask everybody have you done wordle yet yeah no, no. 
Maria, I, I, keep, I keep seeing it popping up on Twitter, like the screenshots, and no, I, I, I haven't, I don't, I haven't come. No, <laughs> Shauna, have you done any Wordle yet? Yeah, with huge variants, of course. Well, first, twice. First one took me the full go, and then the second one I got it second go. So it doesn't second go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was see the the fact that I didn't it was sheer luck meant that I didn't get enough of a high from that. So um, no, I, I might dip in and out of it. It's very clever that it's every twenty four hours. I think that's very, very clever, yeah. you know, and that we're all working. I, I mistakenly put up a screenshot of where I was last night doing the wordle. And and people going, you can't post a screenshot oh, of it. I was going, oh really? <laughs> no, no. I I refused to participate because I did see people doing it, and then I saw obviously Gav Riley, who won't be annoyed when I say that he's regularly known as Google Gav because he just literally went on it, aced it, and there's no point then because you're never going to come up to that standard. So I said, look, I'm not bothering. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. No, I, I can see why it's I can see why it's uh, it's trending and why it's quite popular. It's a decent enough word game for a new word game. It's a decent enough word game, I have to say. So uh, on on the wordle note and the fox note, I think we'll have to wrap it up there. Tony, it's been a very long week for a week that nothing happened in politics. Yeah, it has, it has, and um, and we're and we're back again. Um, we're we're covering several several new topics, and I, ro- I know Rory is working on a couple of things that'll be out tomorrow. So uh, keep your eyes on the feed. Thanks to Maria, thanks to Shauna, thanks to Kevin, and thanks to to, to Doctor Lika for for joining us as well. Um, it's been it's been fascinating. I do I would ask people. Uh, Shamim will be back on. We talked about the Stamp Four issue. Mm-hmm. What was really interesting for me is, I don't know if people saw this, that there was the same group that were selling Stamp 4 appointments a few weeks ago for months and months and months that no one gave a shit about. We're also selling PCR tests for people who wanted to skip the queue. And suddenly, white middle class people gave a shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We shouldn't need that pointed out to us to give a shit. We should care before now. uh, And it's something that we need to we need to be very mindful of. Thanks for listening, folks. And we will be back soon. Take care. Bye bye.